coming up this hour. Aubrey and I are feeling a bit nostalgic as our kids finish school today. And then we're joined by Ashanti Petaway as we discuss mental health and the church. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. Uh, Aubrey, two things that I want to talk about as we are getting the show off the ground. The first, the second one, much more important than the first one, but this, the first one is this. I am, you can see me right now. I've, uh, I've grown more facial hair. I'm growing a beard that I've met more longer than I've ever done in my life to see if I can grow it. And two, how gray it is. And it is, is it pretty gray? <laughs> what's your what's your family saying about that uh my wife is done with it she's like, she's like I, over it like i know you're married to a man your husband has he's bearded uh, uh is very bearded yes and, uh, and that has is, been a long time yeah that has never been i'm bad at growing facial hair it comes yeah. in all spots but i was just like you know what uh, I want to see if how gray it is. I yeah, see. yeah. And, uh, it's very gray. <laughs> Kevin's beard over the years. I mean, years and years ago, Kevin had this massive, bushy. Like I don't know if you know Did a theologian. He, really? he had a. You know, there's a theologian named Stanley Hauerwas who's sort of known for his massive beard, and people would call Kevin Stanley Hauerwas. His beard oh, was awesome. just like out of control and not kept. But over the years, he's gotten a little more stylish. So he still has this beard, but like he trims it and he takes care of it and he moisturizes it. But it is definitely gray. Like patches and patches and patches are gray. And the funny thing is, is he has friends with beards that aren't gray, but are around our age. And I'm constantly evaluating, like, are they dyeing their beard? They are, right? And that's fine. Go for it. I color my hair. There's no shame in it. But I'm always like, is that... There's no way their hair, their beard doesn't have gray in it. You well done. It's a mark of wisdom. Of course, I color my. I'm a 43 year old woman. Of course, I color my hair. At what age did you begin coloring your hair? I mean, the hard part, I don't know because I was always like the girl with like pink hair, red hair, blonde hair. So always, my whole life. Were you really? You were like. I, this is I, this is new information for me. Yeah. Like, we were at Wheaton together. Were you like different color hair girl? Yes. Really? Maybe yep. you remember you. Now that gives me some context. Yeah. I, I mean, it, remember, I was in theater. I was with the creative crowd. So I, I had very sort of that Jennifer, uh, yeah, Jennifer Garner alias red hair when that was cool. Okay. Like, uh, yeah, I was constantly coloring. So people always. Sh- people should be reminded out there. You and I were a grade apart. At, at Wheaton. Wheaton. I was a year ahead of you and yeah. Kevin. Yeah. I knew your husband, Kevin, really well. I have zero memory of you, and I think right. it, I think well, we were mutual. Then. We were in very different crowds, and at Wheaton, that sounds funny, but it was at least, it felt like an 80s movie at Wheaton, like The Breakfast Club, right? Like, there were, like, <laughs> the jocks, and there were the artists, and there were the whatever, and, and the nerds, and no one really came together at Wheaton. Yeah, there was this, when you and I started doing this show, I was like, wait, you were a year behind me at Wheaton? <laughs> And we know a lot of the same people, but I don't know that our paths, I mean, I'm sure they crossed, but we just didn't ever really realize it. Now I know why, because you had red or pink hair and I was probably mocking you. (laughs) You probably were. That's fine. That's fine. I I was making, 
Not only do you and I have no memory of each other, my wife was in my class as well. You and her have no memory of each other. Like, nope. we're that distinct. And Wheaton's not a very big school. Wheaton's campus, not so. a very big school. So, yeah. Now, I'm glad God intersected our lives now. Yeah. It's so much better. Do yeah. you? I know you love your husband with all of your heart, but do, yeah. you, do you like the beard? Are you oh, like, I love the beard. I mean, that's like, part of why he still has shaved, it. No. If he shaved one day, you'd be against that. He does every once in a while because he grows a beard very quickly. Like, the dude is manly. The hair comes fast. And he'll come home, he'll be shaved, and the boys and I are like, ah, oh, what's up with your face? Who are you? You know? The funny thing is, like, all the, I mean, they mean well, but, like, the older ladies at church will always be like, oh, you look so handsome with your beard shaved. You look just like Tom Cruise. Oh. And so he loves that sort of, like build up but i'm like no i like i like gotcha. the beard a lot So before yeah. we move on to the second thing i'm not gonna take it personally that i i admitted before that i can't really grow a beard and you just said he's really manly he can grow a beard fast <laughs> right yeah. sorry brian we're just gonna let that slide <laughs> i'm just gonna skip right over that right, but today is a big day the more important one today is a big day in both of our homes uh, our children, the younger ones, our younger children, both of us, we they're in very different schools. You're West Chicago. I'm out in Downers mm-hmm. Grove. But today is the last day of the school. The last day of school. Uh, you on Facebook said that you were blaring. Who were? Who was that? Alice Cooper's school's out. We were yep. blaring it for, for my third grader and my fifth grader. Really That's appropriate. Awesome. I had it up. We were all singing in the car on the way to school. It's pretty fun. That's awesome. My uh, my sixth grader and seventh grader finished today. So next nice. year, they'll both be in the junior high together. I know wow. you've got a high schooler next year. My high schooler feels like she's been done for like a month and a half. <laughs> she has been at this point. <laughs> she's been out so long. But uh, what? how do you handle the end of school? Like with all the pictures and this and that. Is it like moving on? Here we go. Or are you like cats in the cradle? My kids are getting older. Oh, uh, oh. Time, please. Like, how how do you go about the end of school? Yeah, I mean, maybe both. And I love the end of school because I actually love having my kids home in the summer, which is, I know, kind of crazy because I work a lot, but I just enjoy, I also enjoy not having to race out the door in the morning. That's probably it, to be honest. So we, we really do celebrate, like, yes, you did it. We're going to have cupcakes. We're going to, eat breakfast for dinner. We're going to hang signs and do a whole thing. But then if I do stop to get nostalgic, which I tend to be nostalgic in general. So maybe that's why I don't do it specifically on these school days. But thinking about my, my oldest going to high school next year and my middle going to middle school next year, I, you know, that'll, that'll like cause you to consider that in the blink of an eye, they're going to have moved on. And that feels really sad to me. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. I, the older they get, to be honest with you, the kind of the more nostalgic and the more mm. like I'm like slow down. So my oldest daughter, this time next year, uh, sh- we're taking her to college. I mean, yeah, that's you know? nuts, Brian. That yeah. is like that's the big one for me. Is like, are we allowed to talk about on the show what a genius your daughter is, or would you rather not go there? We're just gonna say she's a genius. Okay, I'll, that, I'll leave it at that. But folks, Brian's daughter is a genius. We'll just say that. Uh, she's like very like her SAT scores, which are off the charts. She won't tell her friends the score. And I'm like, okay. And I just told they her are her. off the charts, everyone. I just tell everybody. But she's <laughs> going to college, and it is like this. I don't know. Uh, to, to take it a little bit more, you know, down a serious route, I do have those moments. I, I didn't think I ever would. It's the old saying, right? And I used to hate when people would say this when my kids were young. Uh, it's that old saying of uh, the days are long, but the but years, the years are, are short. And right now, you're just like, hold uh, on a second, slow down. Uh, I try not to dwell on it, but like, 
I know. You know my, every now and then I look at my son and I'm like, you're as tall as me with like a deep vo- What happened? Uh. <laughs> so do you uh, – ha- what, what does that cause in you when you have those moments? Are, are they like your, your kid's like, mom, whatever, or you're, like, you're <laughs> hugging them for longer? What, what do you just do with those emotions? Yeah, I mean my kids kind of know like – I'm like a very demonstrative mom, so they know. Like, I'll be like, "Come here, you're growing too fast for my baby. Let me hold you." And they're like, "Mom, stop." I think for me, it do- if I'm being serious about it, mm-hmm. it does make me go, "Okay, have I poured into them the things about Jesus that I want them to not just know but experience? Have I prayed for them the way that I want to? Have I really surrendered them to God's care? Like, it ca- it does cause me to evaluate a little bit of their discipleship, like." And like, have I loved them as much as I want to with right. it? You know, I, I definitely get a little self, uh, I get introspective about my parenting. Honestly, what about you? Yeah. I told my daughter the other day, my oldest, my 17 year old, uh, I said to her, I said, her name is Madeline. I said, Mads, uh, every now and then you just have to remember when mom and dad look at you, we still see you as a six year old. It's so true. <laughs> like, you're, it's, still our, you're still, you're our still baby. our little baby. Yeah. And I know that can be frustrating. I right. know, I understand. Right. But no one's ever prepared to be in this stage of life. So I love, it's a weird, it's a weird dynamic as we finish this up. I love every new stage of their life. Like I don't want them to be little. Right. Like, I, I love every new stage. Right. I'm going to love her college stage, but like you simultaneously kind of mourn the one they're leaving. You're like, it's oh, true. what happened? And so it's such a weird deal. And we used to make fun of our parents when they got like that. I know. And now we're at that stage. We're those I parents. That, I say that to Carrie all the time. I'm like, I just have cats in the cradle in my head just kind of <laughs> at all times. <laughs> so all of that coming out today as kids finish school, summer is upon us. And uh, here we go. On to the next summer vacation. Well, coming up next. Ashante Petaway, he's got a fantastic story. Uh, He's going to join us as we talk specifically about the church and mental health and counseling. He's going to help us kind of unpack that as we come out of COVID and mental health issues are all around us. Uh, Ashante Petaway is going to join us to have that conversation next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you joining us today. And Aubrey, I'm thrilled to be joined by our next guest. He is the Director of Network Partnerships for the Chicago Partnership. Uh, also pursuing his master's degree in clinical mental health and counseling. Excited to get to know Ashanti Petaway. Ashanti, how are you doing today? I'm doing great and it's an honor to be on the show with you guys. Yeah, we're really thrilled to have you join us. Hey, before we jump into, there's so much we want to talk to you about. But before we do that, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit? Yeah, as mentioned, my name is Ashanti Petaway. Uh, I'm born and raised in the Buckeye State, so Cincinnati, Ohio boy. Uh, but have been <laughs> in Chicago for 13 years now uh, by way of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I'm a husband, father, and love being able to serve in both of those roles. Me and my wife are getting ready to celebrate 12 years together in marriage in July. Yeah, That's and awesome. then we celebrated, and I believe dating counts. So we celebrated 16 it years counts. together this right. past May. So we're, we're, we're feeling good. And then got three beautiful kids. Our oldest, Joseph, who just lost his first two teeth yesterday morning. So he's ecstatic. And then uh, he's seven years old. Then our middle, her name was Angel, uh, and she happens to be with the Lord. So mm-hmm. uh, we lost her in a miscarriage, but still counts in our heart. Yeah. And then we have our youngest, who is uh, Samuel, 
Uh, he is my my rough rider. He's a, he's a run, <laughs> gonna run around. He's uh, four years old, and so uh, you got two Old Testament boy names in there: Joseph from the Old Testament, Samuel the prophet. So, very intentional on that. But yeah, man, I, I love God, love yeah. God's people, uh, even those who don't know Him as God. You know, mm. I really want to just uh, ask God to use me in any way possible uh, to care for the hurting and the loss. And as you mentioned, uh, is one of the reasons why I pursue, I'm pursuing now my degree in clinical mental health and counseling. I love that. So that's actually something I want to talk to you about, Ashanti. So I'm glad that you said that. You've been in pastoral ministry, and then you felt like God called you to pursue this mental health or counseling therapy degree. Um, talk to us about how you felt like, how did you feel God calling you to that, and then why? Because I think we need a lot of pastors that are trained in therapy, so I'm glad you're doing it. <laughs> Uh, so it's interesting, and I, I'm going to try and do this in the, the best way possible without throwing anybody under the bus. So <laughs> <laughs> I think one thing in, in pastoral ministry I love, being able to preach God's word uh, is a true treasure. Uh, but I'm one of those guys who honestly, if I have the, if you give me the opportunity of what I do majority of my time, I'd rather sit with my congregants and talk through life with them mm-hmm. and really just love and care on them. And so I've been like that since I was probably a kid. I mean, mm-hmm. from elementary school all the way through high school to college, people just always came to me. And so I always just loved caring for people. Uh, stuck in the pastoral ministry in 2015, uh, the wonderful church, Holy Trinity Church, Chicago, mm-hmm. team pastor John Dennis, and that's still my family, so I love them dearly. Nice. Uh, and just really enjoyed pastoral ministry. But as I continue to uh, care for the flock and, and do, you know, the roles of a shepherd, I found myself at times feeling inadequate where I was like, OK, I'm sensing there's something going on. And yes, I can tell you to fast. Yes, I can tell you to pray. But I actually think there's some other work that needs to be done. But I don't know how to diagnose it. I don't even know what to do. And because I'm naturally a shepherd by heart, I was like, if I don't know what to do, I know some other pastors don't know what to do because right, in my right. time in the pastoral ministry and my time in radio, I've just been around a lot of pastors. And uh, the area of shepherding is not always at the top of the list for pastors. Right. Uh, and and I, that's just that's what it is. So it's not a knock on anybody. It's just this reality that I think we've had this mindset that the pastor's supposed to be able to do it all. Right. And sometimes, yes. like, no, you've got the pastor who's like, I'm the visionary. I yes. know how to forecast. I'm ready to preach. I got yes. it. I'm not really ready to step into a whole lot of emotional drama, per se. Mm. And then you have others who are like, well, hey, I don't want to do anything with administration. I just want to care for the people. So right. uh, right. as I just came to grips with that, I was like, well, Lord, if I'm just like I went for training and my biblical studies and systematic theology at Moody Bible Institute, I was like, well, I need to get trained in this. Mm. And so that's when I branched out. Now, you asked, well, how did you know? Yeah to do this uh i think it was a, a, a sense not i think i know it was this unrest that i felt feeling as if like, lord i know i'm called i know i'm called to preach i know i'm called to care for your people but i was like, I just feel like something's amiss like mm. there's something that like this i need something else not because i just want something else but i felt the strong need of like you need to be better equipped i've gifted you as a shepherder someone who loves to care for people like don't don't take that. I used to kind of write that off as just a personality thing. Yeah. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit helped me embrace it and like, no, this is a gift. This is how I created you. Wow. And so help foster that gift. And don't feel as if you stepping down from pastoral ministry 
is you have some forsaking the gift that I've given you or forsaking the call. Wow. It's just a season. And so even in our congregation, when uh, we made the decision and let the uh, church know, one of the things I, I was very adamant to say is like, hey, listen, I'm not leaving the church in the aspect of like, I'm no longer going to be engaged with the bride. I'm, right. I am the bride. I want to stay engaged with the bride. Right. I'm just temporarily taking a break to get some yeah. training so I can better help serve the bride. That's really good. Ashanti, uh, what do you see right now as the landscape out there? We're coming out of COVID. Uh, there's, we read a lot of mental health issues. What are you seeing? What, what do you kind of see coming in the next couple of years uh, mental health-wise in the church and culturally as we come out of the pandemic? Well, I think uh, in the church, and, you know, I, I try not to speak of the church as something independent of me because I'm part of the church. So yeah. I think we, for years, have really struggled with holistic care of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're good at preaching God's word. Not all the time, but a lot of the times uh, <laughs> we are, you know, we're always growing in that we're, we're, we're good at even trying to create movements of ideas to go forward. But the idea of just carrying mind, body and soul, helping people navigate through some of the issues of life of uh, loneliness, uh, uh, past trauma. And so what COVID has done is it's increased this idea of isolation. So uh, research has shown that during the pandemic, like anxiety screenings were up like 634 percent. Wow. Uh, between 2020, April and September, literally 70 percent of all adults who reported issues of loneliness. Wow. And in, in, in isolation, they said they were, that was a major contributing factor to mm. their depression. And so I think as we come out of this, you've got a lot of people who were forced to deal with things that, quite frankly, just doing life as norm allowed you to ignore. Uh, but now when you're isolated, when you're stuck in the house with your family, you learn that, hey, maybe me and my wife don't have the best communication style. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Maybe I'm really not that good of a parent. Or maybe my kids are actually struggling more emotionally and uh, uh, spiritually than I was aware of. Uh, maybe I'm unsettled with God and I'm really not walking in faith and trusting him. So all these things have been now uh, like mushroom that exploded. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, well, what are we going to do? So I think it's going to be key to church to say we're not seeking to just go back to things normal where we get back to the regular program and we're just doing a whole bunch of programming. But it's saying, no, like how do we tend to each other's hearts yeah. uh, so that we can care for each other well? Such a good word. Again, we're thrilled to be joined by Ashanti Petaway, Director of Network Partnerships for the Chicago Partnership. Uh, speaking about mental health, mental health in the church, and what does it look like? There is so much still to tackle. So because of that, we are thrilled that Ashanti is going to stay with us. Uh, on the website, on kind of uh, your bio at the website, there's it ends with four words that I find fascinating, and I would love for you to just unpack because I think there's so much power in it. Uh, you write this, healed people, heal people. Again, healed people, heal people. Can you just unpack that? Because that's such a, a powerful word right there. Well, I'm, I'm glad you appreciate that. I, I can't take credit for it. I don't know where I got it from. I think God just kind of dropped it on me. So you might hear it somewhere else. It's not necessarily Shanti first. But uh, I think one of the things, is just on a very practical level, um, for those of us who have been walking with Jesus, uh, whether we just started or have been walking with him for years, there's this beauty, I think, especially in your early years of walking with Christ, of the intimacy that sometimes can get lost in those middle years because we start to kind of get strong on our own. Uh, but in those early stages, you just remember what it meant for him to touch you mm. and transform your heart. Right. And as he began to work through some things to help you become better and become whole, 
again, sanctification is a process that is going to be until we go home to be with Jesus. But you can relate to those stages of growth and maturation and just like, man, God really healed my heart of this wound. Yeah. And what ends up happening then is from there, as you are operating from a healed place in that wound, when you interact with others, whether uh, it's someone who's going through something similar to you or someone who would, is saying something that would have typically caused you to respond or react, you respond differently now because you're healed. Mm. And in that, you begin to then care for the people with the same, or should I say, ideally, you then begin to care for the people with the same compassion right. and love that Christ cared for you. Okay. And then it becomes this reciprocal relationship where God is healing you and then he's using you in the, the process of helping others get healed. Yeah. Because I think oftentimes when we lose sight is that we're all still, Christ makes us whole, but we're still very broken. Right. Uh, we still have brokenness within us that we're working through and, and trying to get healed from it. And, and when you're broken, unless you're looking through the lens of Christ, you're going to see people in ways that you probably shouldn't. And mm-hmm. I'll say one thing that really kept, has kept me over the years, again, not perfectly, but has really been helpful to me. Whenever something happens to me and I'm hurt, frustrated, angry, I always turn around and say, okay, in what ways have I treated God this way? Hmm. In what ways have I been like this with uh, my Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, my triune God? In what ways have I, have I responded the same way? And as that softens my heart, it then gives me a softer heart towards others. And I think uh, you look you look at the Bible. Me and my children were listening to uh, there's this wonderful audio Bible series called the the Bible Experience. We were listening to that this morning, and it's the we're in the Book of Acts, and you're hearing an interaction with Saul being transformed by Christ and then becoming Paul. And you know we know him as the the greatest of all you know significant contributor to the New Testament. We right. all, I want to be like Paul. <laughs> but it's amazing to see that just chapters before he's he's approving scripture is very clear it says and he approved of the stoning of Stephen. Mm-hmm. Then he goes on his bounty to go then capture and 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 wrangle in all those Christ followers. Right. And then next thing you know he's transformed right. and he's now preaching and proclaiming the gospel and everybody's kind of like, well, isn't he the one who was just doing this? Right. And so it's like when you see that. That trans- transformation and Paul is being healed from his uh, brokenness. Uh, Paul then becomes this ultimate lover of people through the love of Christ that's and so this good. compassion you see. So uh, that that's that's how I would best kind of the heart behind that. Yeah, it's so good. Ashanti, Brian and I earlier today talked about the um, pastor, Steve Austin, who recently committed suicide and, and just the more and more folks in pastoral ministry, you're, you're hearing about their suicides. And I wonder from your perspective, how can the church get better at uh, reaching, talking about mental health so that um, folks who are dealing with suicidal ideation or depression or anxiety, et cetera, are not so isolated? Okay, that's a that's a that's a good one to unpack. That's a big one to unpack. I want to hit it in two phases. One, uh, and I know there are people who are huge studiers of, of church planting and pastoral ministry, uh, but from my perspective, my personal opinion, I think we need to change the way we look at the pastorate. Mm-hmm. Uh, unintentionally, and sometimes intentionally, the pastor is seen as the one who has all the answers the one who can solve all the problems, and the one who's supposed to be perfect. Yeah. Uh, but as a church, we have to change our perspective and say, Christ calls us to this call of perfection to walk like Jesus. 
But even in that, it's the reminder that we're not fully always going to be there until, again, we get to heaven. Right. There's always something that needs to be better. And so I think as we remove this facade of perfectionism and then say that, you know what, the church is actually a place where I can come and be vulnerable, not just as a congregant, but I can actually be vulnerable as a leader. Yeah. See, because a lot of times we'll have vulnerability like, oh, if you're a church member, you can come in. But as soon as you transition from a regular church member to a lay leader or a, a elder or a pastor, for some reason, we've created this, even if it's subconsciously, this idea that, well, then we can't show our flaws. Then mm-hmm. we can't say we're struggling. So if you talk about mental health, I would argue that the change is necessary just for a healthier church as a whole. healthier pastoral marriages, healthier pastoral leadership. Yeah. Well, my sons, I think of it, my relationship, you know, you, you check, check in the scriptures and it's talking about for those who are called to eldership, the need for your house to be in order as a father. There are times where I literally have to talk to my sons and apologize and say, you know what? Daddy did wrong. I shouldn't have responded that way as a father. There are times I pray. And when I prayed for them earlier today, I was telling them, you know, Lord, Help them to see your love through me. But when me and mom don't love them well, when we respond in ways we shouldn't respond, help them to understand that that doesn't mean that you're like that. Right. And what that does is is helping my children see that, one, I'm not perfect. When I have my weak moments, I tell my son, hey, you know what? I was a little scared when this happened. Yeah. Explain it. There was one time my son was doing something he, he just was not supposed to be doing and he would not stop. And I'm not much of a screamer, but at one, I just raised my voice enough that he could hear me. But it was still just kind of out of the blue, like, hey. And yeah. he, he started crying. And, mm-hmm. yes, he needed to stop what he was doing. But mm-hmm. also, yes, Dad, that is not how you needed to stop him. Mm-hmm. But, again, when I show that vulnerability and ask and then repent and say I'm sorry, it creates an environment where they say, hey, I don't have to live under this perfection. I see the flaws of my dad, and he's striving to be more like Christ. I see the flaws of my mom. She's striving to be more like yeah. Christ. And that helps transform them. In the same way, leaders, we have to do that in the church. And yeah, I think as that okay. begins to happen, uh, it, just, it just builds a healthier place for me. Because I, I, I dare ask you, you don't have to tell on yourself, <laughs> when's the last time you walked in the church and really felt like, you know what, I can lay it all on the ground. I could lay it all on the ground right now. My hurts, my pain, my my struggles of faith right now, and that it would be welcomed and received. Mm. Right. So you don't have to ask that, but I, I mean, and, and as leaders, I'd, I'd say very seldom is that something we experience. And um, right, right, right. The, the second part is in regards to the the suicide, suicidal ideations, and things like that. I want to say that you know every situation is different. Uh, I agree when I see pastors who have committed suicide. I agree when I see anybody who's committed suicide, young adults, teenagers. Um, I, f- I think sometimes at the core is this idea of, of helplessness. Yeah. Like you really feel like there's no one there to support you and there's no one there for you. Yeah. No one cares about you and really is invested in your well-being. And it doesn't mean that it's true, but that's what you feel. Yeah. And uh, I think that's why it's important as, as parents, as friends, as, as the body of believers, to just be, I say, you know, there's this kind of, it's kind of old school, but not too old. Uh, this idea of this slang phrase of like, go hard. It's like this mm-hmm. idea of just go at it with all that you have. Yeah. I would encourage all of us to say, go hard with love. Mm, that's good. I think that's if we good. all went hard with love, I'm not saying everything would change, but we see some change. 
the last thing I want to say, if you are struggling with areas of, of suicide or just depression, anything, yeah. whatever you do, don't believe the lie that you can't go get help. That's Amen. Right. That's good. That's right. Even if it means you have to go to a trained professional outside of the church, That's get right. help. It's That's not good. unbiblical. It's right. not God's not going to beat you up for it. Go get yes. help and don't don't wait another minute. Thank you so much for that. Ashante, we're going to have you back on. This was so much good stuff and it gave more stuff I want to talk about. So thanks for this. Hey, with like the minute we have left, could you just tell people where they can connect with you? Website, social media. How can people find out more about you? Yeah, the best way to connect with me is going to my website. It's at fundingtribe.org. That's funding, T-R-I-B-E, tribe.org. And type in uh, forward slash Ashanti. That's A-S-H-A-N-T-I, A-S-H-A-N-T-I. There you can find out more information about what I'm doing, uh, as well as ways that you can support the ministry as I'm seeking to go forward. And uh, we'll love to connect with you. You can even schedule a meeting with me on there uh, to connect yeah. and talk. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we'll have you back on. We'll we'll schedule it through your website. We'll have you back on. And uh, Ashante, it is great to meet you. Thanks so much for this. This was really great. It's uh, it's been fun having you on. Thanks for joining. Yeah. Us. Thanks so much, Ashanti. Thank you. Thank you so much. Love you guys. Love you. You too. You're listening to the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. I'm struggling today remembering what day it is. I woke up. I've been That's going to be all week? Yesterday even, but especially today, I've been convinced that it's Friday, and I've decided yeah. I know why. It's because of what we talked about in the first part of the show. That school the kids ended, getting out, yes. That it feels like Friday. I, on Wednesday sent my wife something asking her to do something tomorrow thinking tomorrow was Saturday and she's like what are you talking about <laughs> it does feel like the week should be ending today since school's yeah. getting out I agree it feels like a Friday like tonight we're gonna go downtown and see the classic cars but no it is Thursday one more day today, we're almost there today definitively feels like Friday by yeah. the way uh, nobody really cares will care about this but I live in Downers Grove big deal right now that they what? canceled uh, they canceled the car show. Because <gasps> of COVID? I'm, no, 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 no. I'm fully supportive for the reason they've allowed restaurants to keep with their expanded outdoor dining. Oh, it's I like love trans- that. Yeah, yeah. Transform the town. You got to come to Downers Grove sometime. That's what I was it's just like, thinking. We'll come down to Downers Grove on a date night. That would be fun. It'll, it has transformed the town. But one of the things is it's, you know, the kind of, you know, you rob Peter to pay Paul. Part of it yeah. is they can't do the car show anymore. And the car show people are not happy about this. Like I the bet they're not happy the about show, it. So. Yeah. Uh, well, Aubrey and I, we've talked about this often on the show. Her and I are both pastors. And so we like to read articles and think about what's going on in the church. And there is a particular author. He's not going to be everybody's bent. He's not going to be everybody's. Uh, you're going to disagree with him at times. But he is a fascinating read. And if you've ever listened to him speak, uh, he is wonderful. It's also the second straight day that you and I are going to highlight an Australian here. His really? Name, they should uh, his, bring us to Australia to do more shows. I don't think that's going to happen, but that would <laughs> be fun. Uh, his name is Mike Frost or Michael Frost. Michael Frost, yeah. He talks a lot about the missional church, mm-hmm. about the church being uh, for the community, all of this stuff. And again, even if you disagree with them, he is a wonderful read. And with that in mind, I wanted to use his most recent article from two days ago. His blog post is kind of a jumping off point. You can read it at MikeFrost.net. That's MikeFrost.net. 
Net, and it is simply entitled this, Make Joyous Disciples, Not Happy Customers. Again, mm. Make Joyous Disciples, Not Happy Customers. And, and uh, Aubrey, you and I think, like I said, a lot about what's the point of church? What are we trying to accomplish? Right. What is... What does the consumeristic church look like versus what is the church supposed to be? And that's what Frost is trying to get at here, that our actual goal is to make disciples who are joyous in the Lord, mm. right? They, are, they, they know Jesus so deeply that they know this. They are joyous followers of Jesus. Yeah. But instead, what we're, often thought, uh, what we're often doing is trying to make happy customers by what do we provide and making them happy. How do you, uh, we could get into a little bit of what Frost says, but as a pastor and someone mm-hmm. who thinks about these things on, mm-hmm. on often, I would say, yeah. how do you kind of wrestle with that, what, you know, the differentiation of those two things? Oh, like, cons- are we consumers of church or contributors contributors to the kingdom? That's a question that yeah. we ask at Renewal Church all the time. Are we dis- Are we raising up consumers of church or contributors to the kingdom and the mission? Uh, and yeah, I mean, I think it's an important question for all pastors and all Christians to be asking, right? Like, do I see myself as actually an active part of the body that is growing in Christ? Or am I just sort of one of the things that Mike Frost paints a picture of is someone sitting on their couch flipping between different church services, especially <laughs> that so many are available online now and going, oh, I like that worship leader. Right. They have a cool background set. Or, ooh, that pastor is really powerful. And I think what you and I have talked about before on the show, it's okay to consume content, especially right. from Christians we're inspired by or move us. But that can't be a replacement for church because that's not embodied and because you need to be in discipleship relationships, in serving relationships with actual people, right? Like mm. you, That's what the Christian life is. And, and we've so... Individualized our faith in the West that we have forgotten that we are called to like encourage one another, worship yes. together, uh, do what the Acts Two Church did, right? Like break bread together. And so, uh, you know, I, this is a good call for all of us, especially now coming out of COVID and churches opening again. Are we gonna? We've talked about this in the show. Are we gonna sit back and just consume, or are we like? going back to church to be a part, to be the hands and body or the hands and feet of Jesus. That's right. He, he differentiates in this article about the, uh, about church as a, like the differentiation between the words economy and society, right? Mm. Like an economy is, it's about what can you produce? What's it, what's in it for me? And so he said, economy, if church is an economy, it produces consumers. If church is a, in the society, it produces citizens. It produces mm. like this family and it does get at the fact that every pastor says, right, I, I want us to be a community. I want us to be in totally. this together. But we treat our people like consumers. What do they want? What do they need? What, what's yeah. going to bring them back? All yeah. of this stuff. Uh, and, and he talks here about holding on to fickle attenders is not what most ministers signed on for. But he said, quite frankly, in an economy, when we view it as an economy, the same way people look at their bank or their doctor or their employer as in like what what's in it for me, they start right. looking at the church that right. way. And therefore, then you do have to um, you do have to just kind of help people give people what they want. And, right. And it becomes this vicious cycle. Like, uh, you know, none of us pastors got into it going, I'm just going to 
you know, try to please my people so that they come back. But, <laughs> right, right. But it's really hard, like when you're when people are are you know grumpy about it or they're leaving, like it, it becomes this kind of vicious cycle, and, and yeah. it becomes a hard one to break often. And you, you know, the the thing is, you don't want. And I, I, I've heard this somewhere, so this is not unique to me. But I heard, I think it might have been Rick Richardson said, you know, sometimes we look down upon the attractional church because we do sort of feel like it has. Uh, contributed to some of this consumeristic churchism, but the opposite of attractional is repulsive, and we don't want repulsive churches. Like we want churches where people are excited to be there, and and like Mike Frost talks about, like you want joyous disciples, and right. so you know it is sort of this weird balance. Like you do want a church experience that for people they really encounter Jesus, and so they're like, oh, that was awesome, I want to be there again, and so yeah. it is this like, okay, we're not here to feed the masses and make sure everyone's happy all the time. But we are, we do want you to like taste and see the goodness of God. Right. It's like this whole idea that we want to be about Jesus. We want to point you to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And Hey, by the, by the way, Jesus says it's in him that you have joy, that you have abundant life, that you have life to the full. And sometimes I even think we as leaders don't trust that. <laughs> so there, there's some truth to that, Brian. Like yeah. Maybe, maybe it's true, but I don't want to be the one to figure it out. And so yeah. Frost ends by saying we got to raise the bar mm. on discipleship, not lower the standards of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Mm. He says we might lose adherence, but we'll find our souls. And he ends this way. People want what Jesus offers to his followers, true happiness, the blessings of his kingdom. They just don't know it. So let's welcome them as citizens in his great society, not customers at a weekly religious show. And that's a total Michael Frost thing. Totally it is. Yeah. That is what he pounds. But he's right. But it's hard. Like, I think it's one of these things that all of us yell amen. And then we go, hey, how can we make our, you know, how can we give our people what they're looking for? Right. How do we make an awesome service on Sunday? Because we want people there. And again, I do like what you said there. The goal is not to repulse people. But <laughs> right. To, you still want people to come to Christ and be a part of your church, right? It is to make the main thing the main thing. There you well, go. We're glad that you're joining us. Coming up next, we're going to talk about a really difficult story, one that happens all too often. It's a little bit of what we were just talking about uh, with Ashante uh, Petaway. Uh, as there was a recently in the kind of the author church world, uh, a suicide, and it's kind of got a lot of conversation back around mental health and what's going on even with people in the church. So we're going to yeah. talk about that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up this hour, we're talking about how to walk with and support those who are struggling with mental health. And then we're talking to Corey Ard and Ryan Darling, artists who created a beautiful wedding song that has over 30 million listens on YouTube. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. I'm Aubrey Sampson, joined by my co-host, Brian Fromm, on the last day of school, which we are so excited about. And we're moving this hour to talk about something um, that, you know, no one likes talking about, but I think it's important for us to bring to the forefront. This is a heavy topic, and Mm -hmm. for some of you, this might trigger some things. If you've got kids in the car with you or kids in the kitchen with you, you may want to consider if you want them to hear this, because we're talking about another pastor who it seems like committed suicide over the weekend. 
Steve Austin, who was a voice um, for those suffering from mental illness issues and really an advocate for mental health, uh, took his life over the weekend. And so the the church is mourning. And I actually have a beautiful clip that I wanted you to hear of Steve praying for and talking about those who struggle with mental health. So let's go ahead and take a listen to that. Psalm 147.3 says he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Justin always had gaps in the memory of his childhood. He didn't think it was unusual until his son turned four years old. Suddenly, he began having flashbacks to being abused as a child. He was terrified of those memories that would surface at random moments. One evening, he was waiting to board the subway when a flashback began playing in his mind. He stood rooted to the spot in terror. After that, Justin was afraid to leave the house. He worried that if he did, the memories would start again. Fortunately, Justin's wife recognized that her husband needed professional help. She called a local counselor who specialized in dealing with agoraphobia, the fear of environments that are believed to be unsafe. Agoraphobia can be triggered by a panic attack. When someone has a panic attack, they fear it will happen again. For some people, that means they avoid the place where they first had the panic attack. For others, they fear just leaving their home might trigger a second panic attack. Often, but not always, panic disorders are the result of trauma. This might be trauma that occurred years ago, like in Justin's case. Or it might involve a recent trauma, like surviving a serious car accident. God can use mental health counselors and other professionals to heal you or your loved one from trauma. But it can take a few months to even begin to see results. And some people, like me, may need daily medication to manage their panic disorder. Let's pray. God, I need help. I feel like there's a weight on my chest and I can't breathe. This pain feels all-encompassing. Please give me peace. Let me experience the comfort of your presence. Send others to walk with me through this difficult season in my life. Amen. So again, that's, I, that's you know, the beautiful part of what Steve Austin did, who actually he tried to take his life Many years ago, he survived, and then again, unfortunately, it seems like his illness won in his battle, but constantly he was someone who was shining a light um, for those struggling with depression and other mental illness, and gives us a really beautiful example of what we can do in the church. And, you know, Brian, you and I have talked about Jared Wilson and Darren Patrick and some mm-hmm. of these other leaders in church who have just shockingly taken their own lives. And I thought it was important for us to talk about because, you know, this is real. People are hurting in in such desperate ways. And sometimes I think we can forget the mental health community, especially as church leaders, but it's important for us to be mindful of how we can support and walk with those who are struggling. Um, Brian, in, in your church or just even your own leadership experience, how do you walk with those who are struggling specifically with suicidal ideation or, or, or generally maybe some depression, anxiety, that kind of thing? Yeah, it's really hard, especially if you don't yourself struggle in those ways, right? right. Like we as pastors are, feel like we have to have all the answers. But I would say this. I think 
at the outset, the most important thing is to tell people uh, like it's it's an illness. Like you're you're not defective. You're mm. not sinning okay. by struggling in these ways. And not to normalize it per se, but to say, you know what? Um, hey, let's try to get through this. Let me help you. But but don't go ahead and, and heap all of the guilt that you're probably feeling and shame. That's just going to exponentially make it worse. And so yeah. I do think uh, – and then I do think when, when we talk about things like, um, you know, keeping this stuff kind of in the in the background, like we can't talk about this, that that also makes things worse. You know, the last year, like you said, has been – these stories have been really eye-opening and difficult yeah. from Darren Patrick, somebody who I really admired and read a lot and, and listened to a lot to Jared Wilson and mm-hmm. uh, apparently to Steve Austin, people who've talked about their struggles. See, that's the thing. Like it's, it's clearly not a one shop, like, Hey, go deal with it and you're done. Like right, it, there, right. is a, there is a process here, a lifelong process and then what we ultimately want to do is point people to the truth that God said, I am near to the brokenhearted, mm-hmm. that, that these that there are men and women in Scripture who, who struggled in these types of ways, and that God doesn't say, whatever, I'm only here for the happy people, I'm only right. here for the people who are right. content or whatever, but that instead, you know, the good news of the gospel speaks into this struggle, and it speaks into it. Uh, and then I would ultimately say, hey, pastor, if if you're not trained in this, get people the professional help. That's need. good. Like, don't be like, I'm Superman pastor. I can deal with this. Uh, there comes a time quickly where you have to say, hey, we're going to bring in the professionals here and, and mm-hmm. deal with it. So h- how do you walk that road? Oh, I just love everything you just said, reminding people that God loves. He's not here just for the perfectly happy people, but really that the Lord came to rescue those in pain. Um, You know, we actually at at Renewal Church, we had someone try to commit suicide a few years ago. And because of that, we had a group of psychologists from Wheaton come and train some of our leaders. Um, And they were a little more like practical with us. So if you get that phone call or someone mentions something to you that they're thinking about suicide, you call 911 and you don't leave them alone. And what mm. they talked about, and I thought this was really powerful, that it's the isolation when people are so d- depressed and beginning to think about suicide. It's the isolation that allows them to take that final step. But often, I mean, I, I can't remember the statistics, so I really don't want to misquote them about something so sensitive, but Often, if they are with someone else, it won't happen. Mm. And so it shows you the power of community, um, but also just shows you like, okay, those are two things I can do. I can call 911. I can keep being with the person until the ambulance arrives or until they're willing to check into a facility. But I I think that is important, Brian, that pastors are not professionals when it comes to this. And that's okay, but we need to have relationships with professionals so that we could triage someone very quickly. Hey, I'm going to call my friend who's a therapist, or I'm going to call this therapist who goes to my church. I'm going to connect them with you, and we're going to get you the help you need. Um, yeah. Because we, this is one of those things that you just can't solve. I mean, you can certainly pray. You can certainly mm-hmm. walk with. You can sit with, but you're not going to solve just by telling someone to, like, press on, keep exactly. going. You know, it's it, it's just such a... It's just such a sensitive topic, but um, it, go ahead. I would Brian. end it by saying, just be cognizant. Look, look for the people you love. Yeah, uh, are they struggling? And if you're out there struggling, I know this is 
one of the most difficult things you can do is to ask for help. But I would just encourage you to ask for help. Don't yeah. don't battle by yourself in the darkness. Uh, allow people to not just pray for you, but be there for you. And it's and and we pray for you. It's certainly difficult, and these stories that happen over and over again are tragic. Yeah, that's right. Well, next up, we're joined by Ryan Darling and Corey Ard, who have written a beautiful song of love and hope. And we would love to invite you to stick around for that. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Hope that you're having a great day today. Uh, And we are thrilled to be joined on the phone uh, by Corey Ard and Ryan Darling. They are Colorado-based artists who are passionate about creating good music, bringing voice of hope to those who feel hopeless in the world. It's always so fun to have artists, musicians on the show. So Corey so and Ryan, awesome. how are you guys doing? Thanks for joining us today. Oh, it's Hi. a pleasure. Thanks Thank for, having, for us. having us. It's absolutely our pleasure. We want to start by letting you guys introduce yourselves to our audience. So Corey, why don't you go first? Introduce yourself to our audience however you'd like. Awesome. Well, what's up, guys? My name is Corey Yard. As uh, Brian said, I'm out in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Uh, I do ministry for a nonprofit called World Challenge and do events and faith advancement and outreach and evangelism. And I also uh, am a worship leader at my church, Zeal, here in Colorado Springs. And I do Christian hip hop. So I make music and do shows and entertain people. Oh, that's <laughs> fabulous. That's fabulous. Ryan, Ryan, how about you? Why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Yes, um, it's so good to be here. My mm-hmm. name is Ryan, and um, I am a singer-songwriter from Colorado Springs with my husband. Um, I do music full-time, and I work a lot in the licensing world. So that is where um, videographers sync music to Um, their video. And so I work a lot in that world. I've been um, a full-time musician for about seven years. So that's That's great. That's awesome. (laughs) Well, we have so many questions for both of you, but Ryan, we have to start by talking about this song, I Choose You. What I want our listeners to know is that Kevin and I did a wedding, I guess it's been two weeks ago now, that Corey and Ryan uh, did all of the music for, most of the music for. And um, they sang their original song, Ryan's original song, and it was mind-blowing. Like, it was so beautiful, so anointed. And then, come to find out, you have how many views on YouTube? 30 million on that particular song. I hope you all heard that. Listeners, go ahead, Corey. 900,000. There you go. I mean, that's basically 31 million views on YouTube. I I want our audience to hear that. So the song is titled I Choose You. If you haven't had a chance to listen, we're going to play a clip here in just a minute. But um, Ryan, can you tell us a little bit about the story behind the song? Yes. So, um, So I wrote the song for Corey to surprise him for our wedding. And, um, and I wrote it basically as a, um, it is about our love story, but it also in the second verse talks a lot about, um, how marriage reflects the relationship that we have with Christ. And, Mm. um, and so the song is basically about love is more than just a feeling. It's a choice. Um, it's good. 
and just the power of choosing, you know, whoever you've, you have entered into covenant with. Um, and so that's kind of the story behind the song. And I, so I surprised him at the wedding. Um, he had no idea that I was going to sing it. <laughs> I, walked off, really? I walked off the stage over to a, a baby grand well, piano. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> so our pastor who's officiating the wedding, he says, and now we have a special song. And he looks at me and smiles. And I'm like, what are you doing? I didn't, <laughs> I didn't write a song. Like, I'm, I'm, You're like, I'm not performing. <laughs> And, and, and so while I'm getting close to him, like, no, bro, I didn't, I didn't write a song. She's walking off. So I look, I'm like, where is she going? I'm so confused. I, I forgot I'm not the only songwriter in the family. Oh, that's wonderful. What a that's nice amazing. As yeah. Aubrey said, as Aubrey said, we want to listen to just a little clip of the song. Go be one of the 31 million people to go listen to the whole song. That's right. But, that's right. Get that number up there. Let's pause here and listen to a clip of this song. And I And again, 31 million, like that's incomprehensible. Like when you, when you've got a quiet moment going 31 million people have like streamed my song, what goes through your head? How do you even process that? You know, I, I don't really process it. I'm still in shock about it. Um, I uploaded the song to YouTube as kind of an obligatory, this is what you do when you're an artist. Mm. And uh, <laughs> it's really hilarious. I uploaded it to Facebook and that's where I shared it with, you know, our friends and family. And I never shared the YouTube link. And so it was almost a year after I uploaded it. I had, I got an email that um, someone had commented on it and I was like, huh, I guess, you know, someone stumbled upon it. I went and looked and it had, 25,000 views and I was like whoa this is amazing <laughs> seriously and then, and then within um within yeah a month it was uh -uh. at like 125,000 and mm. then another month it was at a million and it literally mm. for the last five years it hasn't slowed down it just unbelievable and so it's very mind-blowing it happened organically, and I feel just incredibly blessed and and blessed that people are able to use it in their weddings, which is such a monumental moment in their life. Yeah. Um, I just feel very, very honored that something that I created and wrote can be a blessing to people around oh, the world, really. <laughs> we, that's, we, that's so awesome. We continuously hear stories from people that we meet, and they're like... Oh, you look familiar, and they're like, what do you do? <laughs> oh, I, well, I'm a singer songwriter, and it's like, are you Ryan Dark? Literally, <laughs> are you serious, Ryan? That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. One of the coolest uh -huh. things was that she, uh, Australia reached out. There's a play in Australia. What's the play called, babe? It's called the Australian Outback Spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> and they inquired about licensing 
I Choose You for the next no. like four years four in a years. kind of Broadway equivalent play out there in Australia. Come on. Wow. So it's literally being played all around the world. Yeah. Okay. That is so cool, you guys. <laughs> One of the things I love about what you said, Ryan, and, and the message of the song itself is that concept mm-hmm. that love is a choice. I think that's uh-huh. something in this culture we just do not understand. We think it's emotion or we think it's lust or we think it's right. – but you're saying, you're saying something that God says, right, that love yes. is action. And, Corey, I know you minister to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I would love to – just hear your thoughts on how we how do we love well in this day and age yeah it's i think it's something that's very intentional Mm. oftentimes we i think we just like to let things happen you know Mm. and i think with intentionality we love very well and that's just getting to know people and understanding people and getting outside of ourselves and being a little selfless we're often too selfish nowadays. Mm. It's it's all about us and all about yeah. us. Um, I think <laughs> when I think of practicality in love, I think of, I don't know why, I have some of the craziest stories in the world, but uh, last week we were headed home from an event, uh, my brother's birthday, and we saw what looked like a kidnapping and <laughs> in, the, in the middle of the street. What? So yeah. we, we bust a U-turn and we're whipping in and out the streets. I mean, in residential neighborhoods, chasing down this car, giving the police, giving the police the play by pay. And all of a sudden, like 15 cop cars zoom past us and get on this car and they have their guns drawn and all the people get out. The story was that some lady fell out her car and the guy picked her up and put her back in but she was running and screaming and he had her over his shoulder shoulder and threw threw her in the car but the police let him go and said all their stories checked out but they thanked us because they said too many times we'll get a call it's like hey somebody got kidnapped it's like where are they oh they drove that way and Mm. but they don't ever Mm -hmm. pursue they're not engaging they're not Mm -hmm. intentional about making sure somebody else is okay and i feel like like i said crazy story but I think Ryan and I's love for people, my mind immediately went to, what if that was one of my family members? But right. even more, yeah. like what would happen if we did nothing? And mm. I think with intentionality, it causes us to take a lot of action. It causes us mm-hmm. to really engage with the people around us to okay. make sure that we're loving well. That's, I think that fits together. What a crazy story, too. What Again, a crazy that's, story. <laughs> Uh, Corey Ard and Ryan Darling. We're talking to them about Ryan's song, I Choose You, which is up over 30 million views, just shy of 31 million streams uh, on YouTube. And so, Corey and Ryan, it's so good to have you staying with us. And, Corey, uh, the background, we just get a little blip here of your background before an interview. And your background (laughs) looks really interesting. We read here, after growing up in a lifestyle of gangs, he committed his life to Jesus. I just read that much, and I said, I want to hear that story. So as best you can, why don't you tell us a little bit of your story of how it is you came to faith in Jesus? Absolutely. Man, it's uh, just a very unique one. Um, I don't think unique more than the rest of us that Mm -hmm. God has, he captured my heart the same way that he's captured everyone else. But I mean, I, I, I was born in Washington, DC and at the age of five months old, my father went to jail for attempted murder. Mm 
Um, at six, mm-hmm. my mom married um, a guy who was in the military from D.C., and he got stationed out here in Colorado Springs at Fort Carson. And so we moved up here, and that's when life, I think, got a little bit more crazy. In, in Washington, D.C., I saw a lot of violence, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of shootings in Southside, D.C., and Southeast, and mm-hmm. got to Colorado Springs, and um, the violence continued. I watched uh, my mom be abused, not a lot, but enough for it to really impact me and for her to uh, end up divorcing um, her husband that she was with. But from there, she almost immediately got into another relationship with a guy who, rather than abuse her, he abused my siblings and I. So at the mm. age of 11, I was I was introduced to marijuana, pornography, and alcohol, and it was something that was forced upon me. I had to smoke. I had to drink. I had to watch these images on the screen or else I was beat. My mm-hmm. siblings and I were, were were beat. And one of the things that was common growing up, even in elementary school, I was just a very angry and troubled kid, always in the principal's office and always mm-hmm. had the desk in the corner. I was always that kid who was the troublemaker or the class clown. I was acting out um, because I, I wanted to be seen. My mom worked a lot to make sure she took care of us. But I had this history and this past of just violence that I seen. And it was in my middle school years that I got introduced to gangs and um, uh, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth eighth grade. Every year I was expelled from school. They wow. kicked me out every year. Wow. Um, ninth, Corey. Ninth, ninth grade, I felt like oh, I'm going to try to get it together. But that is that was when um, some friends of mine, two guys started this rap group we all wanted to sing we all wanted to make music <laughs> and we it ended up just being a lot of the cool kids in school getting together and hanging out all the time and so many people were attracted to that hmm. that rather than being a part of a, a real gang that they can be a part of something that was a little smaller but still had that same appeal so it went from about 10 of us to 20 and then 40 and things just started getting more and more out of control. I was expelled my ninth grade year, two months in. So it's October and I get completely, I mean, they kicked me out of school and wow. I had to complete a, I had to complete a program um, in my ninth grade to uh, allow me to be accepted back into public school. And so after I do that, my mom, she put me into a uh, charter school that was ran by a Christian couple. And that is when I was introduced to Jesus. That was when mm. I intru- I was introduced to the, the Holy Spirit and I got a taste, but they shut the school down in the ninth grade and moved back to Alabama or wherever they were from and said, hey, this is the guy that's going to take over your walk with God and um, from here. And we were like, we don't know this guy. We don't want this guy. And my yeah. brother and I went back to the streets and that's when the gang really blew up over the mm. next two years. Uh, it was about 250, 200 plus of us in Colorado Springs. Um, wow. And things just started getting out of hand. We were the biggest and fastest growing gang in wow. the Springs. And the violence just escalated very quickly. I've been shot at. I've been stabbed. Uh, mm. I've seen uh, people get shot and killed right in front of me here in Colorado Springs. I got friends that are in jail to this day um, mm. and won't see the light of day because of the things that they did. And in that, I realized that if I did not stop, I would be dead or in jail. And I was becoming wow. just like the men in my life that I hated. 
And so mm-hmm. I told the gang, I'm done with this. I'm living for Jesus. And I have wow. never looked back. Wow, Corey. Praise God for that. That is <laughs> such a powerful, powerful story. I feel like we could talk to both of you for another four hours. <laughs> and I, Corey, I actually have so many follow-up questions because I know now you have a you have a ministry to folks in gangs and you are doing powerful things, but I also want to talk to Ryan about the song. Um, so this my heart is torn right now because I want to keep talking to you guys. Um, but Ryan, I think what I would love to know is how the two of you met and yes. now, um, kind of as we wrap up our time together, mm-hmm. how do you see the two of you loving people right where mm-hmm. you are in Colorado Springs? Like, what has God called you guys together to do as a couple? Um, so we met at a young adult group um, at church, and we were both on the worship team. We It was kind of high and by for a while. And then um, he ended up asking me to be a part of, a song that he was going to do that was a bunch of guys that were rapping back to back and he wanted a shock factor. And so he said, (laughs) well, let me get this girl that like no one would ever expect to rap. (laughs) And I'll write her a rap. This little white girl is going to rap. Literally. And so, um, and so he taught me the rap and like we started talking and just hit it off. And that's That's awesome. That's how we met. (laughs) Oh, that's really fun. So, Corey, tell tell us uh, really briefly about the organization you work for, because of all the things you're doing, you're also uh, at an organization that's doing great work out there in Colorado Springs. Mm -hmm. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah. So the organization is called World Challenge. It was founded in 71 by a guy named David Wilkerson, who has an incredible legacy of evangelism and preaching and holiness. Uh, He founded Mm -hmm. Times Square Church in New York. He also founded Teen Challenge. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with yeah. Teen Challenge, but he founded Teen Challenge as well and then sold it to the Assemblies of God for a dollar. And so, <laughs> <laughs> but wow. is, a, is a global missions organization that uh, does tons of work overseas and community development and outreach and evangelism, as well as pastors and youth conferences around the country. That's great. And as That's we let awesome. you guys go, Corey, I know one of the big deals for singers and songwriters and everything not every song blows up on youtube so mm-hmm. where tell us promote yourself a little bit where can people find you where can <laughs> they find your music where can they follow you on social media let us know how we can connect with you absolutely well you can just find me at, uh anywhere on social media cory art c-o-r-y-a-r-d as well as my music anywhere that you can buy or stream music uh, it's been a little bit since i released but i have some new stuff getting ready to drop this summer Great. And Ryan, how about you? Where can people connect with you and also find your music? Yes. Anywhere. uh, Ryan Darling. Ryan is with two N's. Um, Yeah. I'm on all social media, um, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you listen to music. Obviously, YouTube as well. Obviously, YouTube. Obviously, YouTube. With uh, 31 million of your closest friends. So we would encourage you to go find Corey and Ryan. Guys, this has been really fun. Thanks so so much for joining us, for sharing your stories. Thanks for having us. Absolutely our pleasure. And you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. I'm with Brian Fromm, my co-host, and I'm Aubrey Sampson. And we hope you're having a wonderful Thursday afternoon. And as we close out the show today, Brian, I wanted to talk about 
the Bible, the good book, the word of God. There was an incredible article by uh, Caitlin Scheiss where she says, why I stopped calling parts of the Bible boring, Mm -hmm. which I thought was kind of a funny title right away because don't you feel like you, especially sort of growing up in the church, there are parts of the Bible that you're like, oh, I'm just going to skip through this part. This is, you know, some of the genealogies and some of the history. You're like, oh, that's boring. But what Kaylin says is that, hey, okay, there are things for us to learn. She actually says that when she was leading a Bible study in Jeremiah, she would even say, this book is boring, but we're going to learn something. Exactly. But she actually like regrets saying that because she's like, no, the Bible isn't boring. There are parts that are gripping and awe-inspiring and even weird, but the Bible ought to command our attention. Mm. And I really, I really loved that. Like, let's reframe the Word of God. So um, we wanted to talk about the importance of the Word of God in our own lives, in the life of the church, and then encourage you to read the Word of God right. as well. So, Brian, talk to me about your relationship with the Bible. Uh, <laughs> that's a funny way to put it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, reading this article made me even feel guilty with things I've said from the front. Like, hey, if you're reading the Bible through the year, and then you get to Leviticus. Like, there's subtle Totally. We all make that say, joke, right? Uh-huh. Uh, but you got you to get through Leviticus. Uh, but I love how this article talks about, you know what, the Bible is really just a journey that we're on. It's like, you know, you're journeying mm. through Abraham and you're journeying. And so many of us, we we put such, uh, hey, there's the Old Testament you get through. The New Testament is where you like you learn about Jesus and Paul right? tells you how to live and the New Covenant and all of this stuff. And so uh, I, I will readily admit that. Uh, that the vast majority of my time is spent reading the New Testament and kind of going mm-hmm. like, you know, okay, really? But yet I also know that when I've preached at our church, we've preached through First and Second Kings, like the story of Elijah and Elisha. We've preached through the book of Nehemiah. I'm not sure in 11 years that, that our church was more engaged on a lengthy, um, so not like a short, uh, series, but a lengthy series, Bible book of the Bible, then like eight, nine years ago. So we're a young church. I preached through the book of Nehemiah. And mm. I will ne- I will never forget, like, you know, sometimes when you preach and you feel like people are sitting on the edge of their seats, like, yes, tell me more. Like, that's what it felt like with Nehemiah. Wow, and that's yet, awesome. And I remember telling, and obviously it was very story driven or Elijah yeah. and Elisha. It's very story driven. Yeah, such great narrative. But yeah. I think that we do our people a huge disservice when we're like, nah, you know, we're going to, the, the Old Testament is like the vegetables and the New Testament is like the dessert. <laughs> the like, dessert. Yeah, know, yeah. One. Uh, and so I, I have good. to remind, but I'm a pastor. I went, you know, I got a Bible degree, a Bible master's, and I still <laughs> struggle with going like, Eh, well, right. What did I just read there? Like, what's right, the right. But I think Caitlin does a wonderful job here. Going, you know what? All of the Bible is beautiful. All mm-hmm. of the Bible, all Bible, all of the Bible <laughs> is um, uh, is uh, is worthy of being read. It is it is uh, helpful. It is effective. All of the Bible is God's word, not just the New Testament or not just the Gospels. And so I think as we're reminded of that. Uh, it becomes important because there are times you read through the Old Testament, you're like, 
that was unbelievable. And there's other times you read in the Old Testament, you go, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, there, I, I, I actually do really, there are things in the Old Testament that I'm like, how have I missed that? Like, how have right. I been reading the Bible my whole life? And I'm like, wait, wait. So there are incredible things in there. And definitely there are weird things in there that you're like, I, surely there's some contextual things happening that I don't understand at all. Yes. But what yes. I love about what Caitlin says, she says, scripture is history, drama, and art. And more importantly, it is the surprisingly simple story of God redeeming his creation. But if in our simplifying or systematizing, we end up relegating entire portions of scripture to boring irrelevancy, we have lost the plot of a God who chose to reveal himself to us in the form of a breathtaking story. And I just feel like that's the heart we all need to approach scripture with. Like, And I think we can be honest with God. Okay, God, ugh, I'm opening up this book you gave me. Right? This is your word, but I am wrestling with Leviticus. I don't want to go, but I'm trusting that somehow in here your Holy Spirit can make your word come alive. And That's so right. would you just, would you help me see your word as the breathtaking story that it is? And, um, you know, have, have a different expectation when we yeah. open scripture. I think that would make a big difference too. How do you help people, Old Testament, New Testament, whatever it mm -hmm. is, somebody comes to you and they go, Aubrey. Uh, I don't have a plan. I don't <laughs> yeah. read the Bible. Like, what should I do? Because, you know, oftentimes I would think somebody who's new to the faith or this and that, they do just mm -hmm. pick up the Bible and go, well, you read a book from the beginning. So I'm going to start at the beginning. We, we While saying the Old Testament and the New Testament, <laughs> that's problematic with somebody right. new to the faith. Right. Uh, Leviticus is going to throw them like this. Yeah. Kind of stuff. So how do you tell somebody, someone comes to you and says, hey, mentor me, tell me how to read the Bible. Yeah, we get we actually get that question a lot. I'm sure you do, too, as a pastor, Brian. And so, of course, we probably say what all pastors say. Start with the Psalms and start with Matthew or, you know, yes. one, of, one of the Gospels. Start there. Um, maybe Philippians. You throw in Philippians, right? And, and but what we do offer people is the. The Bible Project, those guys mm. who have put together uh, basically videos and teachings on every book of the Bible. And what they do in these little short videos, they're animated, they're really well done, is explain what that book is, what's happening in that book, and then why it matters in the context of the entire Bible. Right. And so we often point people to that and say, hey, before you dive into any book in the Torah, right? First, go watch those video clips, especially if you're new to Scripture. Even if you're not new to Scripture, they're super right. helpful. Right. Find out what this book is doing, and then as you're reading it, it'll make a little bit more sense to you. I think that is a fabulous tool. Yeah. Um, and then we're, we're like you at your church. We, we try to go... We, we try to do a New Testament book and then an Old Testament book and a New mm -hmm. Testament book and an Old Testament book in our sermon series. That way, we're just not neglecting all of God's Word, but we're, you know... Ho hopefully helping people cultivate a love for God's Do you have a favorite story. one that you've done? A favorite Old Testament book that you've done? Um, we also did Nehemiah, and that was, I was just surprisingly like, this is awesome. It's like exactly. building a city, and this is like what we're about in West Chicago. Like, that one was, I liked that. It was really, and we spent a lot of time in Genesis to the point where people were like, we need to move on from Genesis, but Genesis is so it's good too. Time. You know, it's time. That's really yeah. funny. I think you bring up a valuable point as we close this out. I, I would say there's never been a time in history where there's more uh, things to help you understand on your phone, in books, online. There you go. There's never been a time where there's more resources 
to help you process. And so take advantage of those things. Yeah, we would encourage you to read your Bible, get the Bible app, go online and find something, but be in God's Word. It is so good for your soul. Well, thanks again for joining us on a Thursday afternoon. We're looking forward to catching up with you tomorrow, Friday, from 4 to 6 p.m., and then it's the weekend. It's going to be a great weekend. We can't wait for that. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.